Well, welcome <laughs> to our services, continuation of our services. We're so glad that you're here and to those of you joining us virtually on Zoom. We're happy that you're here and uh, service has been great and good and we've been edified and I just hope I can continue to play a part in that. We're happy uh, to have you. The, the lesson this morning is, is going to be a support, I'm hoping, for the series that Ryan is engaged in on Sundays and Wednesdays in our Bible classes about why do we, and uh, Ryan, I, I hope I'll help out here and not mess it up, but uh, that's what we would like to support is that, is that same theme. So um, the sermon is going to be taken from a passage in First Chronicles in the 15th chapter, and the phrase is, seek him according to the ordinance. And it's a story about King David. Now, for those of you who don't know me that well, I am a David guy. I'm, I'm pro-David. <laughs> so, the, I mean, there, there, are some, there are some people that are kind of anti-David. They, they, don't, they don't like David because of what he did later in his life, a pretty horrible sin. But this is before that. And this is before that. And David is, is actually... Uh, there we go. And David is actually uh, in pretty good standing. And so it's not showing the slide. It's not showing the slide. So um, that's, that's a good reason I get connected back up down here. So David has been successful. And First Chronicles chapter 11 tells us that David became greater and greater, for the Lord of hosts was with him. Now, First Chronicles and Second Samuel are kind of parallel. And Second Samuel tells us after David became king, that, and First Chronicles teaches us this as well from about the 10th chapter on, that David was actually king over only the southern portion of the kingdom for six and a half years. And so when David was first anointed as king, uh, only Judah, only the tribe of Judah followed him. The northern part of the nation followed Saul's sons. And so there was a civil war. There was a civil war for six and a half years. They fought, and finally David's forces won over the, uh, the battles, the war, and David was then anointed as king over all of Israel. And immediately God gave him success. Uh, he pushed back the Philistines from the territory that the Philistines had taken from the Israelites under the days of Eli uh, and Samuel and Saul. And he also capital, uh, captured the capital city, what was to become the capital city of Jerusalem. And so, great success. And because of that, David wanted to do something for God. And so he said, let's bring back the ark. And so in chapter 13 of 1 Chronicles and verse 4, David said, let us bring back the ark of our God to us. 
For we did not seek it in the days of Saul. And this thing was right in the eyes of all the people. And so David gets the elders of the people, assembles all of Israel together, and he says, if it seems good to you, let's do this. Let's bring the ark back. Where had the ark been? Well, the ark had been in Kiriath-Jerim for almost, for probably 40 years, maybe more than 40 years. Because as you recall from your Bible history in 1 Samuel, they had foolishly, under the prophet's leadership of Eli, they had foolishly taken the ark of God out in battle. And it had actually been captured by the Philistines. And so after that episode in the early part of 1 Samuel, the people of God seemed to think, well, maybe we ought to just avoid this thing <laughs> because it's, 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 not, it's not been very good to us. And so it remained in, in a house in Kiriath-Jerim for 40 years. And during the reign of Saul, and I say 40 years because Acts 13, 21 tells us that Saul's reign lasted about 40 years. Saul never sought to bring it back. So now David, this man after God's own heart, David, this man who seeks to please God with all of his being, with everything that he has within him, wants to bring God back and the ark back and the tabernacle worship back to the center of what is becoming the capital of Israel, the city of Jerusalem. So he assembles all of Israel. And they have a big celebration. And verse 8 of that chapter says, David and all Israel was celebrating before God with all of their might, even with songs and lyres and harps, and tambourines, and cymbals, and trumpets. What a great celebration. We're bringing God back. Remember how we felt just after a few weeks? How long was it? Three months? That we were unable to assemble together? And we were only assembling virtually? And we started off with... uh, with assemblies in the parking lot, <laughs> in our cars. And I, I remember even that was, was so, uh, so wonderful. that We, we had a, a couple that came down from Michigan and traveled like an hour and a half just to be able to assemble with us in the parking lot. <laughs> wow. So when we were able to finally come back together, what a great day. And David must have felt that way. David felt that way too. And so they are assembling and they're celebrating. And there's the ark of God that they are bringing back. What disaster happens. Disaster occurs. They had been carrying the cart. They had been carrying the ark of God on a cart, pulled by oxen. And when these oxen came to the threshing floor of Kaidan, Uzzah, 
Someone who is obviously responsible and involved in the transporting of this ark puts out his hand to hold the ark because the oxen nearly upset it. And the anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah. So he struck him down because he put out his hand to the ark and he died there before the Lord. In the middle of all of this celebration, in the middle of great joy, in the middle of wanting to do what is right and proper, and it seemed so right, and now someone is dead. A faithful child of God, a a faithful servant of David. He wants to come back. He wants to bring the ark back. He wants to worship God again in the way Moses has prescribed. And so David, it says, became angry. How can I bring the ark of God back home to me? You know, David, and and he didn't bring the ark back for three months. It resided then in the house of Obed-Edom. And and the Bible says there that God blessed the house of Obed-Edom with all that he had had. Now, there's two approaches that David could have taken to this. He was upset. He was mad. And he could have taken two approaches. One is he could have stayed mad. He could have been childish like this picture I have up here. And he could have said, how could a loving God do this? How could God do this? Can I do anything to please you, Lord? Will you ex- won't you accept my offering to you? Won't you accept my work to you? Won't you accept anything that I do for you? That's how David could have replied to this situation. And I think, at least initially, that's probably what he thought. Because it does say he was angry. But fortunately, he did not take that approach. He took the second approach. He said, maybe I ought to think about this. Maybe I ought to examine myself. Maybe I ought to say, what did I do wrong? What does God want me to do in this matter, in these actions? As Samuel said so famously in the humble statement when God appeared to him, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Well, David did listen. He wanted to find out what God wanted, and he found out what God wanted. He said in 1 Chronicles chapter 15 and verse 2, to the assembly of the Levites, he said, no one is to carry the ark of God but the Levites, for the Lord God chose them to carry the ark of God and to minister to him forever. It it was written in the book all along, wasn't it? I mean, it's in Numbers chapter 4. 
And all David had to do, instead of consulting all of Israel and consulting all the tribal leaders and consulting all of his political heads and governors, all he had to do was pull out the book and read in Numbers chapter 4 that it was the Kohathites that were to carry the ark. And he says that then in the next paragraph, beginning at verse 12. You are the heads of the father's households of the Levites. Consecrate yourselves, both you and your relatives, that you may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel to the place that I have prepared for it. Because you did not carry it at the first, the Lord our God made an outburst on us for, and here it is, we did not seek him according to the ordinance. So the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel. The sons of the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with the poles as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. So what do we learn from these incidents? What lessons should we learn? Well, number one, God has said what he wants. God has said what he wants. In this case... He said it in Numbers chapter 4, in the Pentateuch, which was written, which had been copied, which was available. All David had to do was go down to the library, pull it out. <laughs> right. It was there. It was How did he find out later if it wasn't there? How, how did he find out what to do? Why, well, he read it, or someone read it to him. And so God has said what he wants. In other words, he's given a pattern. He has given a pattern of what he wants, not only in the way to carry the ark, but in the way that the worship is to be configured. He has said what he wants. And secondly, God means what he says. Surprise, surprise. God has said it. And he means it. He means what he says. You know, a lot of people say things they don't really mean. (laughs) But God, when he says it, he means it. And we should understand that. Third, God expects us to know what he said. He's made it available to us. He made it available to David. He made it available to all those people. He made it available to the priests. He made it available to the Levites. He made it available to all the people. God's word was copied thousands of times, even during that period of time, and preserved. So he said what he wants. He means what he says. And he expects David and the others and us to know what he said And then he expects us to follow his pattern. Now, if that seems overly simplistic, I I meant it to be. Because it is. It, It is really, really 
simple. God has said what he wants. He means what he says. He expects us to know what he says. And he expects us to follow the pattern that he has given us. Now, and you know, these lessons, lessons like this, have been repeated time after time in the Bible. All through the Bible, God has given lessons like this. For example, God commanded Abel and Cain in how to worship him. Right from the very beginning, right after the Garden of Eden, God said, I want an animal sacrifice. Now, how do I know God said that? Because Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7 says that Abel offered a sacrifice by faith. What does by faith mean? By faith means God said it and I believed it, so that's what I did. That's exactly what that means. It doesn't mean that Abel had a good heart and Cain had a bad heart, although that was the case. It simply means that Abel heard what God said and did it. And Cain heard what God said and said, "Eh, I think my vegetables are just as good as your lamb's blood. But it wasn't. Because God said, I want an animal sacrifice. We learn later why that's the case. But why wasn't it enough for Cain to hear the voice of God and believe the voice of God and obey the voice of God? Why wasn't that enough? Because 1 John says his deeds were evil. Because he was evil. He didn't care what God said. He was not going to make his actions He was not going to mold his actions and his life in accordance with what God directed and what God wanted. He was going to make himself a God. I'll serve the God I want to serve. I'll do what I want to do, and you will accept it whether you like it or not. I know, Cain, I know that wordage isn't in the Bible. I'm... I'm, I, I know that I'm, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm extrapolating here. But, but those are Cain's actions. Those are, those are his attitude. That is his attitude. God gave Moses the pattern for constructing the tabernacle. And fortunately, in this time, Exodus chapter 39 tells us that they followed the pattern and they were blessed because of that. God blessed them and praised them for following the pattern and the commands that God had given to Moses. But soon after that, in Leviticus chapter 10, we learned that Maybe even at the first worship service they ever had. I I don't know if it's the very first one, but it wasn't very long. The sons of Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu were offering fire on the altar which God had not prescribed. God said, do it this way. Nadab and Abihu, probably drunk. Some of the the second paragraph signs signs to indicate that. Didn't pay attention. 
They didn't, you know, they, they didn't do it the way God said. They didn't offer the fire. It says it was strange fire. Strange fire meaning a fire that God didn't know anything about. God didn't command that fire. And so what happened to Nadab and Abihu in Leviticus chapter 10? They were struck dead. Just like Uzzah was. We read in Numbers chapter 16 of Korah's rebellion. God had clearly appointed Moses as the leader and the prophet of this people. But Korah, who was also a Levite, came to Moses and said, You're doing too much, Moses. You're not the only Levite in town. Let us take over some of the responsibility. And you read that whole chapter. And Moses said, You assemble here tomorrow. And God will show you who he's chosen. (laughs) And basically, he said it. He said, now you stand right over there. And if, if you live a long, nice, healthy, prosperous life, then I'm wrong and you're right. But if God opens up the earth and swallows you whole, (laughs) then I'm right and you're wrong. And all of Israel will know it. And guess what happened? The earth opened up, and Korah and his family and the other rebel- others of that rebellion were swallowed up. God said, Moses is my prophet, not you. And Korah and their families suffered the consequences. Well, see, the point of all of this lesson is that God has given us a pattern. Just as he gave Cain and Abel a pattern, just as he gave Moses a pattern, just as he gave David a pattern, he has given us a pattern. And so, yes, the theme of the lesson has now been revealed. This is called pattern theology. (laughs) And I'm a patternist. Guilty as charged. Yes, I'm a patternist. Bill, you probably are too, aren't you? Amen. There is a pattern. God has said what he wants. He's made it clear. He expects us to follow what he wants. And we do not please him when we substitute what God has wanted for what we want. Now, Jesus said it real clearly in the Sermon on the Mount, in the uh, Great Commission, rather. You know, we pay attention to the first part of the Great Commission, how we make disciples. Well, actually, a lot of people don't pay attention to that. <laughs> you know, we make disciples by baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, not the sinner's prayer. <laughs> There's no sinner's prayer in all the Word of God. Jesus never said one word about the sinner's prayer, and yet that's the most popular method that Certainly evangelicals use to make disciples. But Jesus said, make disciples by baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. But then he said, then he said to his apostles, teach them to observe all that I commanded you. Let me say that again. Teach them, because this is the absolute bedrock of the gospel dispensation. This is the absolute bedrock of whether Christ has given us a pattern or not. I mean, the answer is yes, he has. 
So let me read it again. Teach them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of this age. So everything that was done in the first century by the apostles was done because Jesus commanded it. (laughs) You mean to tell me, Ralph, that Jesus told the apostles to appoint elders in every city? Yes. Yes. You mean to tell me, Ralph, that Jesus wanted us to that Jesus told his apostles to observe the Lord's Supper on every Sunday? Yes. <laughs> you, mean that, you mean that Jesus told the apostles to do? Yes. Yes. And here's the other verse that confirms that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14. This passage from about chapter 10 to the end of the, end of the book is talking about Organized church worship, most of it, almost all of it in that section. And here's what Paul says. If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. They're not my opinions. I didn't make it up. This is what God wants. This is what Jesus wants. This is what Jesus commanded. Now, you don't want to recognize that? All right. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. He is not recognized by who? By the apostles. He is not recognized by the Lord Jesus Christ. He is not recognized by God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. He is not one of us. And so many other passages teach that. (laughs) I've actually had people suggest that Paul, when he wrote this, he was just talking about that one little paragraph. (laughs) Talk about heretics. Just deny the word of God. Because the Bible actually teaches us that in Ephesians chapter 2, that the church, the church, boy, this thing is, uh, all right. Again, that God has given us a pattern today. Just as in the Old Testament, there we are, thank you. Just as in the Old Testament, God gave a pattern for tabernacle worship. God gave a pattern for temple worship that was given by God through the prophets to David and to Solomon. He has given us a pattern in the temple today, which is the church. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. And are of God's household, having been built... On the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. We have a pattern. It was given by the commands of the Lord to the apostles and the apostles revealed those things to us. Today, in the form of a written record, just like David had a written record, 
We have a written record. It is a pattern. It is the commands of Jesus. It is a pattern for what we are to say, for what we are to do. And so the questions are given answers, aren't they? How shall we be saved? It's here. How shall we worship? It's here. How shall we live? It's here. Where shall we go? It's here. God has made himself known. God has made his will known. He wants you to follow his will. He has given example after example after example after example that he means what he says and that he wants you to follow his will and be blessed. Is there one here this morning that is not following his will? We urge you to amend your life, to change what you've been doing, to change the way you've been thinking. Don't be like David and stay angry. He did not stay angry. Don't be like David could have been. He did not stay angry. He sought out what the Word of God said, what God wanted, and then he said, we made a mistake. We're going to change. We're going to do it God's way. So if you've not been doing it God's way and you would like to start doing it God's way, please come forward now as we say.